This is The Vincast, Australia's only podcast dedicated to the world of wine. With over 100 episodes of the podcast and roughly 80 to 90 hours of content, uh, the podcast really does rely on the support of the listeners to, uh, to help it grow. Uh, the support is very, very simple to provide. All you need to do is to let someone know about the podcast who might not have heard of it uh, and uh, to encourage them to have a listen. Uh, the best way to do that is actually to go to the iTunes page for the podcast and leave a five-star rating and a review, uh, providing some feedback not only to potential listeners, but also to potential guests and to myself about how I might be able to improve the show. Thank you to everyone who listens regularly. Uh, and if you are new, welcome aboard. Uh, and I hope you listen to many, many more episodes. On episode 102 of the Vincast, I chat with Yarra Valley-based winemaker Caroline Mooney from Bird on a Wire Wines. Hello there, Vincasters. Welcome to this episode of the Vincast. My name is James Gasbrook, otherwise known as the Intrepid Wino. Uh, and uh, thank you to everyone who had a listen to Sierra Reed Milne's uh, chat on last week's episode. Uh, it was really fantastic. I'm, I'm so excited to uh, to be engaging with um, really up and coming winemakers like Sierra. And uh, and this week's uh, guest is no exception. Uh, her name is Caroline Mooney, uh, and uh, although she has many years of experience making wine, particularly in the area valley uh her her um brand of wine uh, bird on a wire wines is really uh, gaining quite a lot of attention and, and producing some really uh classic uh wine uh from um a number of different varieties so uh, i was really thrilled to sit down and, and find out about her story and also to taste some of her wines for the first time which i did on my youtube channel intrepid wino where i uh, i actually filmed some uh, tasting videos which i call let's taste uh so i do recommend having a look at that video it is actually the 100th edition of let's taste uh, to uh, find out more about the wines but uh, make sure you do that after you listen to caroline's story because it will put the uh, the video in so much more context so uh, please do enjoy uh, stick around till the end so you can find out how to get in touch with caroline and myself uh, but until then i'll see you on the other side Caroline, uh, welcome uh, on the podcast. Thank you very much for uh, for coming down to the Vincast recording studio, if you can call it that, and uh, and welcome on the show. Thanks very much, James. Nice to be here. Um, Caroline, uh, if you haven't already heard the the podcast, uh, you may or may not know that I typically start every episode by asking my guest if they can remember if there was a moment, uh, an incident um, that kind of made them think about wine in a different way that's probably set them on the path to follow a career or if it was just a gradual thing? Um, I think I think that's a very easy question for me. I grew up in the Yarra Valley and my parents always were quite keen wine connoisseurs and, and um, very supportive of the local wineries. Mm-hmm. 
And as children, we used to get dragged along to cellar doors where, you know, they'd take their city friends out and and go and find wines and buy wines. But I suppose the idea, one of the really lovely things about that was on our birthdays, as we got older, Dad would always open up a wine from our birth year. Wow. And usually one of the old old Yarra numbers. Yeah. And it's not something it, that you, you can do that much anymore. No. I mean, not to mention the fact that yeah, very we're difficult. all a little bit older, so yeah. <laughs> finding a wines off from that vintage yeah. uh, would and be sometimes, pretty hard. As discussed, a little bit unobtainable. But, um, yeah, it was always a really lovely uh, experience and we'd sit down for birthday dinners and very quiet and casual, but it'd be always nice to sort of see how that birth year was looking. Sadly, my birth year is 1973, so not the most awesome year, but um, I got to enjoy my brother's and sister's years as well. Yeah. So yeah. that was a really lovely tradition and um, and we still do it now. Yeah. So, yeah, it's what, good. what sort of business were your parents in, in the Yarra Valley in those days? Um, back in those days, they were farming, so we ran – we had a property in the Yarra Valley um, and still do. And it was a property that sort of went with the ebbs and flows of the the um, agricultural markets, sure. I suppose. So we went from dairy farming to uh, sheep and then cattle, mainly Charolais, yep. and then uh, back to dairy. And sort of I suppose the urban pressure on the Yarra Valley um, created really – high uh, rates and they really needed to look at how they could diversify their mm. property mm. and that's when Yarra Valley Dairy started. How big was the property and, and has it has it changed since you were young? It's a little bit smaller now but um, not by too much. The, it's about 340 acres. Whereabouts is the property? It's on St Hubert's Road. So the Yarra Valley Dairy uh, is based on it. So it sits in between Yearing Station and say, Domain um, Chandon. Yeah, or, or Punt or, Road. Or, yeah, along the seat, Hubert's Road there. Yeah. So it's a it's a lovely strip. It's like a cricket pitch that runs down to the the Yarra River right yep. near Yarra Glen. Yeah. Through there, so I was very very lucky to grow up on such a beautiful property. Yeah. And I still, to this day, just think I was the luckiest kid in the world, really, to do that. That's commonly kind of referred to as the, the sort of the valley floor, the, the real heart of the, the, of the Yarra yeah, Valley, exactly. especially in terms of wine. Yeah, exactly right. The other really lovely thing about it's the valley floor, but um, when you go back and read uh, books about uh, the first vineyards of the Yarra Valley, it also has one of the three hills that was um, identified as premium growing sites. Yeah. So Yearingberg is on one of those. Um, Yearing Station is on another, and then the mum and dad's property have got another hill on it. Mm. Free of grapes at the moment. At the moment? <laughs> yes. Oh. Probably for a while. Okay. Until <laughs> I get totally cashed up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, what was it like growing up uh, on a farm in, in the Yarra Valley? I, I would think, you know, again, as you were saying about, you know, urban uh, sort of stretching the city, the Melbourne city stretching out, yeah. it uh, probably would have been pretty different, you know, 30 plus years ago. It was, it was incredibly different and, um, oh, it was, it was so much fun. It was such a fun place to grow up in. We, it was a very small community then and mm-hmm. it was very country. Um, I learnt to, you know, drive at a very young age and 
And back in those days, I wouldn't recommend it to anyone now and their children. But, you know, we used to at night sneak out and drive on the highways and these days the amount of traffic going through that place is it's, it's a horrifying thought. But Well, yeah, I mean, like now I sort of feel like that there are even people who are living in Healesville and Yarra Glen and commuting into the city. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, when, when um, we had to diversify our prop property to to make it pay I suppose dad did go back and started working in Melbourne again so he was driving into Melbourne yeah. every day yeah but I think you know it's not such a difficult drive and um you know there's certainly a lot of winemakers who live in Melbourne and travel out to the Yarra Valley yeah exactly <laughs> so um but yeah it was a great place to grow up in I loved it and then you know just you know my dream sort of way to grow up, I suppose. Yeah. Living on a farm. Uh, back then, was there much in terms of wine that had sort of been reborn in the, in, in the region? Uh, not really. You know, there was certainly the, the um, originals and um, Mount Mary, Yeringberg, yeah. Warramate, Coldstream Hills. Yarra Yering. Yarra Yering. Yeah. And all those guys really, you know, they were the wineries that we visited. Sure. And then, you know, in the um, sort of late 80s, early 90s, places like Domaine Chandon yeah. popped up. and De Bordley. And, and yeah. De And yeah. I remember the, the original owners of Domaine Chandon. Mm. And, Greenpoint. Um, yeah. And Bill was a, a terrific farmer and and when he sold that property to Mo and Chandon, that was Big news, mm. massive news in the Yarra Valley and very exciting. I don't think there were too many people who thought it was going to be a bad thing. No, of course not. Yeah. Um, so as far as growing up in the Yarra Valley, you would have had friends, you know, from from that area. Did you go to school in Yarra Glen or I went Hillsville? to primary school at Yearing. Yeah. So we had um, about 15 students in that school. Yeah. I went there until I was in grade six and then I went uh, to Tintern, which was just half an hour away by bus. Okay. But um, there was, you know, there was a, a full bus of kids who were all travelling into Ringwood and that area Yeah. Um, to go to school. So. And, and were a lot of their families also kind of inver- involved with different agriculture, particularly, you know, depending on what the market wanted? Um, yeah, there were. There were uh, people... Certainly, families who were involved in um, there, were, there was race horse breeding and oh yeah, um, dairy, uh, cattle. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was quite diverse. But it was it is and it has always been a very diverse, I think, region. Mm. Um, I mean, even if you, I suppose, you could even argue, even when you look at it now. In terms of a, a wine growing region, it's very diverse. Of and course, it's, even though it's we, a big region, though it's as a well. massive region, it's yeah. huge. Like it gives us lots of little microclimates. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And and sort of as you got older and were sort of starting to look at finishing school, did you have an idea about maybe what you wanted to do? Did you sort of like the idea of being in you know involved in the farming? You know, as far as the family. Um. I think it took me. It did take me quite a while to work out what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I I did art, and I was doing a lot of drawing and um, you know painting and and sculpting, and and I really sort of threw myself into that. And then I decided that that's not what I wanted to do. And I 
was that was that a pragmatic decision? It's like I think uh, so. Yeah, I, well, no I didn't know this. where it was <laughs> taking me, and I and as much as I really loved the the creative aspect of it, um, I really I, I'm quite a driven person, mm-hmm. and I you know I like to set goals and go you're quite results oriented. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, and um, and so I ended up uh, going to work full time just to save up to go overseas and. I went overseas with a girlfriend of mine and we started off in Italy and then, um, you know, just travelled around. We ended up in, in Bordeaux and I really didn't know very much about wine at all. Mm. And um, and I think it was there and also Italy that sort of made me think, oh, this wine wine thing is a good thing. I was mm-hmm. just having a great time with wine. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then came back and I got a job at a cellar door in a winery um, called Yarra Ridge, mm-hmm. and it was just—it had just been sold by the uh, the founding owner Louis Berkauer to Mildara Blass, mm-hmm. and Which um, became eventually South yeah Corp. Treasury yeah and well and then was it South Corp or was it uh, Foster's? It went through a few changes that I lost yeah. track of. Foster's then Treasury. Foster's yeah yeah okay. So I'm interested to know, as far as the the travel, um, the decisions about where to go, was that to a certain extent, in you know, informed by your your interests, your passions? Like, did you did you like food, for example? Did was that kind of maybe oh, I want to go to Italy and, and and you know try different foods and and, and I, th- I w- I'm just interested as far as you know you were interested in art, so maybe you wanted to go and see beautiful art whilst you're in Europe, and then. Through that travel process, you kind of started to see other aspects of of European culture, I guess, and that you know maybe informed, you know, your interest in early interest in wine. Yeah, I think um, all of the above. I just, <laughs> I just wanted to go. And Most loaded I loved, question ever. <laughs> no, but and and lo- yes, I love you know even back then I loved cooking. I loved, I loved food. I loved, um, you know. The I I love the idea and still do. In fact, recently my husband and I went to Italy and it was his first trip to Italy and it was like mm. it's almost like going home, you know. Like mm-hmm. I love the um, respect uh, they have for food and for family and 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 what that brings with it. Um, and I suppose I was just dying to see the rest of the world yeah. and. I'd seen snippets of all these amazing museums and basilicas and food and wine and and certainly when I went over there I was just soaking it all up. I mm-hmm. couldn't get enough, mm-hmm. you know. And uh did you, did and you I have certainly any, brought it back. Did you have any, you know, quite profound experiences in particular as far as maybe eating and drinking? Can you remember? I remember a tomato. Yeah. <laughs> Like I, I remember just we we just made, um, you know, this tomato salsa and just put basil in it, and we rented a little cottage uh, in a small village in Italy, and it was just ridiculously simple. Which of course now I understand, which is what's so beautiful mm-hmm. about Italian cooking. Mm-hmm. And um, we were just, you know. We just couldn't believe how good this tomato was. That the old man who had the cottage next door, who had the most gorgeous vegetable garden, 
you know, dropped in a little selection of vegetables for us to cook <laughs> from, you know, and it was all just too much. And, and we looked out over this valley and living in this beautiful stone cottage and, yeah, it was all just so beautiful. Yeah. So, yeah. So returning to Australia and, and going to work um, in a cellar door, was that a kind of, was that a, a conscious decision that's like, oh, I like that that industry, you know, working working in wine, you know, you know, brings me some joy and, and interest. And was that was that a quite was that just more a circumstantial thing? Um, I think uh, it was certainly. I you could see how dynamic and exciting the industry was becoming in the Yarra Valley. Sure. It, it was it, it was very clear that great things were afoot and. I love, I think I was very much drawn to the agricultural aspect of it where you take something and, and you take a raw product and you make something. And um, However, I, I'd sort of always been slowly or gently steered towards um, a more marketing sort of role. That, mm-hmm. You know, I think my parents really, that was what they really Business. wanted to see me. Yeah, yeah. They'd really, that was the way of the future. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, they're probably right. But I I was really drawn to the um, the making aspect of it sure. and and the vineyard aspect of it. And so yeah, I you know I can't even remember your question now, but yeah, I think I, that, I, I actually <laughs> think I actually think that that kind of comes back to your interest when you were still at school in terms of art you liked kind of the creativity that expression you know if in in the context of say sculpting you're taking a raw material and you're turning it into something quite beautiful and that's I guess you know one of the really special things about wine is it's taking an agricultural product which is grapes and then turning into something completely different you know and there are processes involved with um there are processes involved with uh you know, turning it into that wine as as if they were, but you know, you 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 make choices to sculpt it, to craft it into you know something that you you have you envisage as this is going to be something beautiful, yeah. and so I think that that possibly maybe uh, you know making assumptions here um, was what you liked about wine, and you know to a certain extent I guess it probably wasn't a bad idea for, you know to sort of look at the business side of things because it probably helps you now yeah as far as running your own wine business yeah I think so and I think um, certainly uh, certainly in terms of winemaking you can as with art you can read about it you can um, study great works you can go and stand in front of amazing pieces and but it's not until you do it yourself mm. That you're going to find your own individual take on and, a media, and I think you certainly get a, a different kind of appreciation for it as well. Yeah, you know, I think you can be profoundly moved by something in a different way if you have that experience yourself. Yeah, definitely. And I, yeah, and I think you know, I, I think making wine definitely feeds my uh, creative self because I, I don't paint anymore I haven't picked up a brush or a piece of charcoal for years mm. and um but I get quite a lot of satisfaction out of you know when those grapes come in it's just but, ooh, what are we going to do with looking it at a, look you're looking at a vineyard is the same way as looking at a landscape and then choosing how to express it you know yeah and I, I don't I don't I really don't see a huge difference yeah. yeah no I think you're right I think you're right and um but what's terrific is at the end of it, you can drink it. 
Yeah, of course. <laughs> the, the, the the consumption of the product, you know, and and I guess I guess again that's something that makes wine so uh, even more subjective is that you know it's it's consumed in a different way. Whereas you know two people might look at a painting or a sculpture and and interpret it differently. Wine is so much more because there are so many more you know, like you're using more senses mm. in a way rather than just visual. Yes. Um. You know, and and then even then when you're talking about sense memory, um. You know, sight, smell, taste. Uh, you have different associations with all those kind of things, and that's why I think, you know, people can write huge, you know books about a, s- a single wine. Maybe I, m- I might be exaggerating a little bit there, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, and and well, it's so subjective. Exactly, both forms are so so subjective. I think, but um, yeah. So, what were your, your early experiences like? You know, in the wine industry, working in Salador, and then you know, talking with the, the well, general public who are coming and, and tasting and wanting yeah, to learn about wine. I think I I used to take vineyard tours at Yarra Ridge, and I just loved going out into the vineyard and talking about what was going on in the vineyard, mm-hmm. and you know, used to get as much information as I could about it. And then I realised that what I really wanted to do is is work in the winery. So I approached the winemaker at the time, and uh, he he said that the cellar cellar was full. So I left and did my first vintage at Tindara, mm. and that was that was a terrific experience. Mm-hmm. It was such a big. I'd never seen such a big winery before. Have you had you had the opportunity to travel much in Australia before that? Oh, up the east coast, right? So, yeah. you, so you hadn't you hadn't been to South Australia. <laughs> no, had you, had you tasted much wine from South Australia? And I know there's um, lots available, but uh, look, a little bit, I suppose, the classics. You know, once mm-hmm. again from Dad's cellar. But uh, no, that was a real eye opener for me. Looking at, do you think that in the same way that you know, going over to Europe and being exposed to you know different culture filled you with an appreciation for food and wine, do you think that it was really beneficial for you to go and do a vintage out of Victoria or out of the Yarra Valley to kind of give you an appreciation for what what the Yarra Valley had and that, and that, that informed your decision to, you know, moving forward? Yeah, definitely. I think I, I think what it did essentially is I gained a, a really clear um, appreciation for how large wineries operate sure. and the efficiencies involved in there. And I, you know, I think any winemaker should have a crack at that and mm-hmm. just cut their teeth on a little bit of large-scale winemaking to put things into perspective. Mm-hmm. And and how these those businesses run is, you know, um, it's not what I've chosen to pursue, but it's, you know, it's pretty impressive and it sort of sharp, certainly sharpens your seller skills. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and then coming back to the Yarra Valley, it's you know you I and I came back to Yearing Station working with Tom Carson and and Dan Buckle, mm. and that was just like oh my goodness, it's, it was just such a different scene. And mm. at Tintara, I worked with um, my first vintage. I was looking after Roto fermenters mm. and um, massive potters. Sure. So. Then to go to Yearing Station and see all this beautiful small batch winemaking um, and be very much included in the information thread when it came to what was going on in the cellar and and the winemaking techniques and the, the start goal and the end goal. Mm. 
you know, and all that sort of stuff was was just like a confirmation of, of where I wanted to go. I, I feel like that, um, you know, large wineries or, you know, commercial wineries get an unfair um, reputation as like it's it's totally macro where and, you know, working in a you know, beautiful little artisan um, wineries or yeah. micro, but there are a lot of small decisions that have to be made that probably don't get noticed, you know, in the larger scale thing. And, and, you know, you are making little decisions along the way that are going to, that you have to think about uh, how they are going to, you know, be influenced in in other aspects of the business that, you know, you know, they they just get lost a little bit. Yeah, I think so. I think people um, wrongly assume that, that large scale winemaking directly relates to lack of detail. Yeah. It's all just massive fermenters and stuff like that. Which is not the case at all. You know, certainly, you know, certainly there there are occasions there are product and there's probably fruits quality scales that require a little less attention detail. But um, you know I think there's um I just think it's a totally different way to to look at winemaking to what I'm used to now Mm -hmm. and requires a huge amount of skill mm-hmm. um, and organisation and knowledge. But that certainly gave you a really, you know, big influence in terms of when you did come back to the Yarra Valley and started working at Yarring Station, sort of looking at, you know, significantly smaller scale. Um, uh, how how big was Yarring Station at that point? I mean, how, how many tonne were they crushing um, each year? So my first vintage there was 2001. It was a pretty big vintage. Yeah. Um, uh, we all still go, oh, 2001, remember that? Oof, scary year. Uh, and I think we did around, um, I think it was around 1,700 tonnes. Mm. The biggest vintage I did at Yearing Station was I think close to two and a half. Yeah. So, but... It, I mean, that was an incredible year. We worked, pretty much worked seven days a week for 16 hours a day for, you know, three. It just went on and on and on. Yeah. Um, but I remember that was, so that was my first vintage and we were having our end of vintage party and Tom said, oh, Mooney, well, get up, Mooney, you can give the speech. And I all I could think was I can't believe we all got through that vintage. Yeah. And half the crew couldn't speak English and, you know, we had some terrific wines at the end of it. Mm. So it was just a, you know, a great environment to step up into. Sure. And um, there was no room for, there was no room for slacking off or hiding behind a tank hoping someone else would do the job. Mm -hmm. It was just all hands on deck and let's get through this. So, and, and that was the other really, Yearing Station was a terrific team. There was some amazing skills in Mm -hmm. that cellar. Mm -hmm. Um. And we had access to some incredible fruit. Yep. And yeah, not it was just a great in the Air time. Valley as well. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We were, you know, we were we were looking at so many different varieties. You know, Tom and Dan were a great team. Tom was always pushing that sort of quality-driven winemaking, and um, yeah, it was a great great thing to be part of. So you had a couple of stints at Yearing Station. I worked at Yearing Station close to nine years. Yeah. So the um, the first sort of 
four or five years or so, um, what were the the really um, kind of character building experiences that you can remember, and, and like, and and you would have had the opportunity to be meeting people who were you know coming from Europe or even North America, maybe South America, no. Uh, coming uh, to yes, work of integers. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so was it was it really fun to sort of meet people from different parts of the world? Yeah, it was great. We had some terrific characters. We had um, some questionable employees, but overall, we had some really great um, characters come into the cellar, and there was always a, a great sort of team teamwork aspect to Yearing Station. So we'd sit down every day and have lunch. Mm-hmm. And if we were there for a long day, which we normally were, um, we'd sit down and have dinner. Everyone would bring a wine. It was very, you know, very inclusive environment. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, just in terms of, well, 2001 for me was hugely character building. Mm-hmm. I think that really put things into perspective of how hard you can work during vintage. Mm-hmm. And uh, and there there were just things along the way, you know. There were there was no cutting corners at Earring Station, so you know if you had to go the extra mile, you just did it. Mm-hmm. And um, that was sort of that was just a, a great way to learn. I think was there also a really good community, you know, in the Yarra Valley in general, as far as you know, winemakers and and people getting together and. You know, if they're like yeah, really wine show, for example, and stuff like that. Did you get like getting involved with that sort of thing? Yeah, we did. We had a really great tasting group. Actually, we started a tasting group when I was at Yarra Ridge, and um, and that sort of continued on. There was great camaraderie between the winemakers in the Yarra Valley, mm-hmm. um, and there still is. I think it was a little bit more relaxed back then because it was less competitive. Yeah, a lot. Well, I th- I, f- I sort of feel like there's. The sort of Yarra Valley today is a lot. They're a lot more new, like a lot more small. Uh, yes. You know, in some cases, like yourself, people have sort of started their own brand as well, and there people. There are also people who are not from the Yarra Valley, and maybe not even from Victoria, and they've come. You know, and they've and they've started their project in the Yarra Valley. It's it. You know, it's a really dynamic region, and I think it's it. It, it almost goes through a, a rebirth every five years. Yeah, I think you're right. I think. Um, I mean, there's there's so many little labels uh, in the Yarra Valley now. So you, you've you've still got your big players there, but you just scratch the surface, and there's just like it's like an ant farm mm-hmm. of small labels mm-hmm. running sort of around the bottom, and um, and then on the whole, making some really terrific wines. Quality wines, quality just, wines, very it's, small it's batch, very yeah. focused, um, and. It, it doesn't really matter whether they're from the region or not. The the whole um, idea of continually pushing for better quality and for a region is terrific. Yeah. It's, you know, it pushes the region forward. Um, but it's just a little bit more competitive now and I think there's more at stake these days. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's more uh, pressure on winemakers to really keep punching out. Sure. Terrific wines um, because there's more money invested. Very true. Uh, at, at a certain point, you started studying. Was that that was, of course, whilst working for Young Station? Yeah, I started studying. My first year of study was 2001. Right. And um, when did I? Well, I finished that six years later. Mm-hmm. So it's six years. 
That was Charles Sturt? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Charles Sturt. All the winemakers at uh, Dimension on that, they always went to Charles Sturt. Yeah. Um, did you find it challenging to kind of do that uh, externally? Yes, without a doubt. And I came from an arts background. So all of a sudden I was, you know, studying subjects that I'd virtually been told at school I would never be able to achieve. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I found it really hard the first couple of years, you know, moving in, into chemistry, I really had to apply myself. Mm. And, um, but at the same time, it was so much fun going up to Wagga and just hanging out with what was a massive year mm. of, you know, really great people, lots of fun, lots of fun, lots of study and um, just you know, you just really had to apply yourself at exam time, <laughs> at least the week before. <laughs> so, yeah, it was intense. Um, in those years, did you get the opportunity to go and, and work vintage overseas, particularly in Europe? Um, I didn't. I went overseas with Yearing Station. Uh, oh, I, I suppose, you know, I, I went over and, and worked at Shave, but that was sort of towards the end of my time at Yearing Station. Mm-hmm. Um, and then prior to that, I went and did a, a tour through uh, Champagne with the DeVoe guys mm. and um, went and visited people, you know. Actually, Tom said to me, you know, Mooney, you know how to turn on a pump. Do you really want to work vintage? <laughs> he said, why don't you just go overseas, have a great time? Spoken like a true <laughs> winemaker. Which I thought was a terrific idea. I was pretty familiar with how to turn pumps on and off. So, um, but... And and so on those trips, I went and looked at vineyards and and um, did that sort of stuff, and which I really loved doing. Mm. You know, just getting a, trying to get a real feel for the the vineyards, and I suppose so, when, soaking in the terroir. Yeah, exactly right. So, and Sharp was, it, I mean, Sharp was for vintage, and and that was an amazing study of the hill of Hermitage. Mm-hmm. So. You know, that was really great experience. And the approach at Shav is pretty unique, pretty different. Not We wouldn't call it modern, would we? No, I wouldn't call <laughs> it modern. Um, I'd call it, uh, I think Jean-Louis is very um, open to and responsive to what his fruit is doing. Mm. So, you know, whilst it's traditional, he's always assessing and seem to always be um, considering mm-hmm. alternatives. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just really, I, and I think that's something that I took away was always look at your vineyard, look what it can do. Um, don't worry whether your brand has a style associated with it. Just do what the vineyard needs most of all yeah. to try and express that fruit in the best way possible. Yeah. So, so um, at what point did you start to conceive of the idea of um, of bird on a wire? And what came first, the name or the uh, or the wine? Um, the wine came first. Okay. <laughs> the name was was slow in evolving mm-hmm. and took a long time to sort of pop out. But I think um, so. I I worked. Uh, at year two or at Yearing Station until the end of 2008. I think I finished up in December 2008. And they, you know, Willie 
was the new winemaker there and had really beautiful ideas about what he wanted to do there next. Mm -hmm. And I just really felt it was time for me to put my ideas to play and and I had access to some terrific fruit and I just really had a craving to make my own mark on a, a wine. I say that, but I really, not necessarily my mark, but I just really wanted to put my name behind a mm-hmm. behind a label and and have a play around with that fruit mm. so it w- was was the idea to be uh make to make Yarra Valley wines or was just depending on you know what what fruit you were getting access to um it, ideally Yarra Valley wines and that's that's still true i think um really i think that there's some well, we know that there are some amazing vineyards in the Yarra Valley, mm-hmm. and quite a lot of them. And and the vineyards, the first vineyards that I started making wine from, were vineyards that I had worked with at Yearing Station. Okay, and but had always really wanted to just try playing around with um, with the fruit in a slightly different way. Well, and, considering that it was going to be very much small batch winemaking and yeah. sort of knowing, well, this is not necessarily going to be going into a much bigger blend. Yep. This is, this is you know, so I can make decisions about just this batch. Exactly. And I, I can say I just want that hand-picked. Right. And um, particularly the Marsan, you know, that's really, it's been a bit of a pet project. And, um, and of course, the, you know, the Chardonnay, they're all, you know, really really great vineyards and I just love making wine from that fruit. Mm-hmm. It's almost lazy. <laughs> it's <laughs> hands off. It's that, that's the cool, that's what that's all the cool sommeliers yeah. want. They want that low exactly. intervention wine. Yep, yep. Um, I do break the Shiraz down into many separate parcels of, you know, individual ferments just to justify my, you know, my activity. Okay. <laughs> and so how has, uh, how, how have the wines kind of changed in the proceedings? So 2008 was the first vintage? 2008 was the first vintage and that was just Shiraz and not single vineyard. So that came from a few different vineyards. Okay. Um, and then 2009 bushfires came through. I was only able to get uh, Chardonnay, which I came from. I, I do remember that Saturday. Oh, that came from. Um, uh, Gladysdale, okay. so up in the hills, mm. and came off quite early too. So it's, it was unaffected by smoke um, and ash. And then 2010 was my first year with uh, all three varieties coming online. So Marsan from sort of the northern end of the Yarra and then Shiraz, similar, well, same vineyard but very sort of different little spot in that in that vineyard. Mm-hmm. And Chardonnay again from Upper Yarra. So uh, when did you kind of establish the kind of close relationship with those three varieties? Because, you know, a lot of people think of the Yarra Valley in terms of Pinot Noir. A lot of people think of the Yarra Valley in terms of, you know, Cabernet or Bordeaux varieties. Why Why those three in particular? You know, Massan is, uh, you know, it's a, a tough variety um in, in general, but you know, it's quite well known in sort of central Victoria and Nagambi Lakes, that kind yeah. of area. Um I, I love Shiraz from the Yarraval. It's one of my favourite varieties. I actually prefer yeah, it I to agree. Pinot. Um but I'm i I'm just interested, was it was it those years at Yaring and, and sort of seeing the the the, the fruit in the vines sort yeah, of inspired I think, you? Um it, it 
a little bit of a combination. So the that Marsan, that the Marsan that I I um, make my wine from now used to go into a product called MVR. Mm, I'm very familiar with it. And in 2001, so my first vintage at Earring Station, we did a straight Marsan. Okay. And then it must have been in about 2007 we opened one and and I already had the Marsan bug at that stage, sort of very curious and very investigative of Hermitage Blancs and St. Joseph's and, sure. you know, Marsan dominant plans and um and so we popped the cork on this 2001. It was a cork back then. Um, and it looked really good. Like it looked really, really good. It evolved quite nicely. It was a much, you know, leaner sort of um, tighter acid-driven style of Marsan mm-hmm. than, than what I make now. But, you know, the fruit profile was really good. Oh, okay. So um, and then in 2000, at the end of 2009, I think it was, the the grower uh, of the Marsan rang me and said, I, I remember you loved Marsan and um, I just thought I'd give you a call because we're about to pull it out. We don't really want to pull it out but we can't find a buyer. Mm. So I said, don't pull it out, I'll buy it. And that's how that came to be. So 2010 was the first fruit I took in from that block. And how have you found the the reception for for the Masan in particular? You know, Chardonnay and Shiraz, let's face it, you know, are not as difficult to sell as far as grape varieties. Um, yeah. But but Masan, do you, do you find it uh, it's still a, a bit of a struggle? I think um, I don't find it. It's just a you've got to, just got to find the right market for it. And I think predominantly for me. Um, the restaurant trade love it, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's a wine that um, works in well on you know degustation menus and and things like that because the chefs get to play around with the enormous array of flavor profiles that you can put with Marsan mm. that work so well um, and different texture I found as well oh, with Marsan. Yeah. It's it's you know it's such a terrific. Um, wine to put with so many dishes and when I say that I don't mean it's nice with you know pork mm-hmm. it is just beautiful mm-hmm. with certain dishes yeah. and and enhances and it's like to me it's it, it's like one of the the great food wines mm-hmm. I suppose mm-hmm. um so yeah I don't find it I don't find it too hard I do a lot of selling of my own wine mm-hmm. um and uh you know, and it also has very loyal, very loyal sort of customer base as well. Mm. So once people hooked, they're hooked. <laughs> That's what we want. We want loyal yep. customers. Yeah. Uh, lifelong, ideally. Um, uh, so, um, what what sort of direction might you like to take Bird on the Wire in the future? Do you have ideas about sort of planting planting vineyards and that sort of thing? I'd love to plant vineyards. I just not really cashed up enough. For it, don't have the. Let's face it. Who is? Yeah, exactly. Certainly not in the Yarra Valley. I need to find someone who is. (laughs) But um, at the moment, look, I think there's so many really great vineyards in the Yarra Valley, and and I think that you know there's great opportunity to make really lovely wines without necessarily planting more grapes. Uh 
Um, so I've got at currently I've got 2015 Nebbiolo in oak. Really? And um, a little bit of 100% whole bunch short skin contact Pinot Noir. Mm-hmm. And a bit of sparkling from 2011. Okay. Still on Lees. So, you know, I've, I'm sort of playing around with a few different things. And if I can, if I find really lovely sites with what I think are the right varieties on them, mm. then, you know, that's something I'll pursue. I'm not necessarily interested in padding out my portfolio, I suppose, with with other varieties just because I can get hold of that fruit. You don't want to do it just because you yeah. can. You want to you know, yeah. do it because you're really passionate about it. Yeah, exactly. So so that's bird on a wire and I suppose, you know, it'll never make me millions. <laughs> but it'll make you happy. <laughs> it'll make me happy, yeah. So that's probably, you know, I should, probably should have a longer-term business plan, shouldn't I? I should probably need some sort of something like that, but I don't. I don't know. So I'm just going along currently. I think I think it's it's the longer term part of it is just like this is what I'm hoping to achieve not you know like it's funny you talked earlier about you know being quite results driven yeah but the the results should be every year I just want to make the the best wine that I can most interesting yeah. wine and not make compromises about that you yes. know and not make compromises like oh well Oh, there's some raisin for sale. It's going pretty cheap. I could make a wine for that. No, I'm making a little bit deliberate decision because I know I can make a a wine that makes me really happy and and the customers who I've already established for the brand are going to love. Yes, exactly right. And it's a very slow way to grow your business, I might add. (laughs) But that's wine. I mean, (laughs) wine's been around for thousands of years, so (laughs) it didn't just spring up from from nothing. Yeah, exactly. And often, you know... Think about who is, you know, who are those customers of, of a person's business. And I suppose ideally what I want is loyal long-term customers. Yeah. Um, not fad-driven customers. Sure. Because I, I don't make wines that probably really appeal to fad um, consumers, I think. They're... You need to sit on them for a bit and at, at sit a, on them, stare at them in the glass and then just see uh, them open up. Hopefully at a certain point those fad wine drinkers get enough experience yeah. and they kind of see every wine for its potential beauty yeah. rather than making a decision about what they like before they even look at the wine in the glass. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That, that's that's something that I'm hoping to achieve as well and, you know, I, 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 I like people to be, you know, more open-minded and, and how, you know, hopefully they get enough experience to know why they like something. Yes. You know, rather than choosing something because they're told that that's what they should like or yes. that's what's cool. Exactly, exactly. Caroline? Uh, thank you very much for your time. I've really uh, enjoyed finding more about uh, your your background. Um, as far as uh, people following yourself uh, and the brand um, website address, any social media accounts you might like to let them know about? I do. Um, I have a website and it is Bird on a Wire Wines, which is plural. Yes. dot com dot au. Yes. Uh, there's Twitter. Um, which is Bird on a Wire, at Bird on a Wire Wine. Mm-hmm. Um, Facebook, Instagram, and I'm sporadic on all of them. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, get on the social, me- social media accounts and hassle Caroline because you want to hear more from her. But, uh, but thank you for, for being on the show. Pleasure. Thanks for asking me. 
And thank you for listening to this episode of The Vincast. I have been James Scarcebrook, otherwise known as The Intrepid Wino, and I'd love for you to follow me on social media, on Instagram and Twitter. I can be found at, at Intrepid Wino, and the podcast can be found on Twitter at The Vincast. Uh, if you like my Facebook page, Intrepid Wino, one word, uh, you'll see all the different links that I share uh, and also uh, some lovely pictures. Uh, and uh, I'd love for you to come to my YouTube channel. As I mentioned, uh, I uh, open up Australian wines uh, under the Let's Taste uh, style of video, uh, including more re- um, very recently uh, some wines from Caroline herself. Uh, but there are lots of other vi- videos, including my um, my experimenting with making wine for the first time this year, any intrepid winemaking videos. Have a look at those, like some videos, leave some comments, make sure you subscribe. If you subscribe to the podcast, which you can do on a number of different platforms, including iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Podbean, uh, that means you're going to get the newest episode of the podcast as soon as it becomes available. Uh, and it's also a great way to, uh, to provide me some feedback by leaving me a rating and a review, which I would really appreciate. Uh, as always, uh, you can find all that information at intrepidwino.com, uh, as well as uh, reading about my, uh, my travels around the wine world and some tastings that I get the opportunity to go to. Uh, thank you very much, as always, guys, for your support, uh, and I look forward to having you on future episodes. But until then, bye. Bye.